many places around the world where it is difficult to gather the church. And that's becoming more and more difficult. Here we are, Norman Beach, Florida, free to open our doors and fill a room full of people who claim Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. People who are unashamed to sing. They sing praises to Him. People unashamed to put themselves under the teaching of God's Word. Lord, thank you for this. And Lord, may we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. We, we do not know what the future holds, how long you will allow us to do what we do here. But may we hide God's word in our heart. May we be prepared to serve you in all times and all circumstances. We thank you for those who do that so faithfully here in this church, Lord. Would you continue to add numbers, continue to have people say, I want to serve. I want to serve Jesus here. I want to honor him and his word, Lord. Keep raising people up, Lord. Keep sending people out. We think of young men right now who are training for the mission field. I pray for them. I'm so grateful for them. They've been such an encouragement, Lord. May you encourage them today, Lord. Raise up more. Thank you for our short-termers that have gone and come back. David and Susan, Lord, just recently back from India, Lord, thank you for them. Lord, continue to raise up people who are unashamed of the gospel. I want to proclaim it to their neighbors, to their co-workers, to their family members. Lord, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm preaching on three of my most favorite things, and you know I'm in this series uh, uh, in between books right now, but loving Christ, loving his word, and loving his people, I, I think that probably sums up everything I preach on, right? No matter if I'm in a book, those are the things you hit. Christ is the center of the scriptures. He reminded the Pharisees, you keep looking for eternal life, but the scriptures are about me. So we always preach Christ in the scriptures. Certainly we preach the sufficiency of God's word. We're going to be on that this morning. That's such an important thing. It is so much under attack. If you've not been watching um, Mike Johnson and the, and the Speaker of the House, they are just trashing him and the Bible. Because he says, that's my worldview, the Bible. And so those things are always an attack. And then certainly loving his people. God has made us a family. We weep together. We rejoice together. And so in a way, we're always preaching on these things. But we're highlighting some things. Currently, I'm preaching on loving the word of God. Learning to love the word of God. Now, you say, well, pastor, don't we do that? We're Christians. Well, I think admittedly, it's probably more difficult than we want to admit to some days. Loving the word of God is a struggle. We battle a lot of things, and I want to go through some of those things this morning in this. But as we think about that, I want you to understand that right now, in all times, in all seasons, the Word of God is always under attack. Satan hates it. The world hates it. We're seeing that. And even in our own flesh at times, we don't like the convicting power of the Word of God at times, especially when we love our sin. And so the word of God is always under attack. There's not a season, there's not an epic, there's not a time when God's word is not under attack by this world. And it comes in so many forms and in so many sides. I believe Satan uses many like this passage that Pastor Jason just read. We're going to begin to look at here. These cleverly devised tales. Cleverly devised tales. To rob you of your view of the sufficiency of scriptures for all things. We see this throughout so much of the world. And then, unfortunately, so much of making its way into the church. And I 
pin down several areas that I want to highlight that we see this happening. I, I really want you to think about other ways and share them with me. Other ways where you see where there are areas in our lives, in this world, that are subverting or attempting to subvert the sufficiency of the Scriptures. As I thought and began to write this introduction, I, I have many, and there's no particular order here, but I began to think about just the church and its struggles to try to adapt to the world. So often we see churches trying to be more like the world and less like the Bible. There's this desire to have kind of a business model. We all, all become corporate shareholders in a sense. We, we believe that perception is everything. And so we try to model and we got to have this and we got to have that and perception. And because if they don't perceive you to be who you want them to be, they're just going to go somewhere else. And you got to keep them in the seat somehow. Churches fall into this too often. It's almost sales driven. Are the numbers up or the numbers down? How do we handle that? And so there's great pressure that comes on the church often not to maybe teach on something that would drive people away. Size matters, they tell you. But it's Jesus who builds his church. It's him who gives us our numbers. And certainly there is a role of stewardship there. We're not dismissing that. But Jesus said, I will build the church. And we depend on that. And so we must be careful. There's pressures there. And that worldly model makes us look at things in the world to try to see how we can adapt that. And we turn our eyes away from the sufficiency of scriptures. It's happening all over. And if you're not familiar with it, you probably have closed your eyes to it. Every day it seems like someone calls me and says, where do we find a church like Riverbend? I get that call constantly. All around the globe. Because so many have caved into those things. I think there's also a preoccupation with our own glory. Churches find themselves heavily relying on producing a form of entertainment of somehow. It's so dangerous. We're not here to entertain you. I am not here to entertain you. I studied long and hard to bring the word of God to you. And I love you and I hope I'm, my craft can get better and I speak clearer. And That's always a goal of someone who's oratorically challenged. Um, we want to get better at that. But that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to entertain you in any way. I'm here to teach God's word to you. We're here to feed the flock. We're here to come to worship. This is not a country club. And that's where the church has gone. So many wonderful books have been written on ecclesiology now. The Doctrine of the Church and several of them uh, have been, one by Tom Thumb that I particularly remember, taught so clearly that Today's modern American church has become a country club. You get what I want when I ask for it. And if you don't, I'm going to go somewhere else. And that's what we're, re we're reeling from. And all of that is a threat against the sufficiency of Scripture. Third, there's this growing boredom with the pure teaching of God's word. And on the opposite of that, there's a growing fascination with signs and wonders and a word from God. These these movements are strong within Christianity. In fact, today's Christianity is just being overrun with this word from God. Everybody has a word from God. Well, I got one. It's right here. And I know it's true. It's not made up. It's not, well, maybe it's something I had for dinner or some premonition that I think I had. And I'm a sinner trying to say that here I can speak for God. Well, these movements are strong. 
And it's a threat against the sufficiency of Scripture. If, if I have to get a word from God, then that means this isn't enough. This is, that, this is the challenge the church is up against. And this is why I say it is hard to love God's word at times. There's so much coming at us. Now, experiences are powerful. And they often become this most important driving factor. And somewhere along the line of an emotionalism, truth is lost. Experience is greater than truth. I received a letter this week from a dear sister in this church. She said, I grew up in the charismatic movement. And God rescued her for that and put her on, this is what she said, a journey into truth of God's word. I I trust she's in this room today. She encouraged my heart greatly today. And don't get me wrong. Look, there's a place for emotions. God made us in his image, right? He made us to love and and to uh, enjoy things. There's, There's emotions. But that has to be based in the truth of God's word. Otherwise, it's susceptible to so many things. Today's text will prove that Followers of Jesus were amazed with all kinds of emotions of who he was when they were exposed to his full glory. And yet, that had to be based in the scriptures. Fourth, there's a rejection of God's design for the family today, probably more than ever. We're very familiar with this. I teach on this often because I think it's one of the strongest threats against the sufficiency of scripture. When we study the scriptures, we realize that God has richly blessed his design for the family for those who live in accordance to his biblical dis, uh, design for husband and wife, children, and so forth. He blesses that. He always does. Get outside of what God has laid for the family. You will suffer. In fact, it will cause great doubt that comes in your life. When we studied both the Old and New Testament, everything comes back to God's creation, God's design in the garden. Every one of them. He did not make a mistake In the garden. He did not make a mistake when he issued the decree of marriage and gender and all of that. He he lives by that. He laid that down for us. And we have to hold to those things. And the minute we give in to that, we say, well, maybe he's not right on that. This is what we call relational theology sometimes. And that often comes about and gets exposed when maybe a loved one who comes out and declares something. And then you're wrestling, oh, God, I want him to go to heaven. And, 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 you, and you begin to, well, maybe it's okay. And I've watched too many families, in a sense, condemn their children or their family members because they weren't able to lovingly and carefully and articulate God's word to say, son, daughter, friend, that's not what God says. Let me help you with that. Let me walk you through what God says. All of this is attack on the sufficiency of scriptures. We see this over and over. Probably one of the greatest things is the psychology movement. It hit the church many, many years ago. It continues to build. Scriptures aren't enough for you. The Bible and the church can't help your problems. That's what's told to so many. In fact, recently leading psychologists have come out and said, over the last hundred years, our practice in our medicine has made little difference. The problems still continue to rise exponentially. They said this, depression, anger, suicide, murder, abandonment of family, etc. continues to grow in record numbers despite almost untraceable amounts of psychotherapy drugs that are prescribed. 
Is Jesus enough? Sadly, the American church has bought into this. And I know I I always get letters after I teach on this, but listen, I, I understand. And, and, but, but we, as we go down this road, we begin to watch too many people trust in something that is not sufficient. Our God is sufficient for these things. The church tends to follow things. They tend to follow what the world's doing. When it isn't fully committed to the scriptures, that's what happens. Uh, another article recently came out by a high-profile New York professor in the University of New York. He said this as he's criticizing Christianity. He says the church is eagerly eager to adopt popular, uh, popular trends of thought at the very time the secular professionals are beginning to criticize them. I, I was sitting with a dear sister this week, um, came in, and, um, who has been around this profession, and God has just been ministering in her heart so much. And um, we both talked about how the, the world of psychology has debunked the term chemical imbalance. They come out and said it was the pharmaceutical companies who did that. Not us. And yet the church has bought that culture. Now listen, I want you to listen to this very clear before you write me an email. Certainly there are medically measurable deficiencies that we suffer under the fall. Medical measurable deficiencies. I I want you to understand that. We understand estrogen and hormones and things like that. We have to be very careful with this. God is enough. He can help you. And that's what this message is about. And I, I, I can't help but just warn us to be careful. Sin is powerful. It's deceptive. And Satan and your flesh, they, they cleverly devise tales. That's what the verse says. They cleverly devise tales to lead people away from God's perfect, sufficient word. And I'm telling you today, pleading with you, the absolute goal of those clever tales is to lead you away, not to him. Not to him. On top of all of that, there would be more things you could think about. We have our own stubborn hearts. We know what the Bible says and then we don't do it, right? When's the last time you forgave somebody? Are you in battle with anybody right now? How's your marriage? How's your parenting? How's those things going? See, we fight the scriptures. We're stubborn. Our hearts are hard at times. So this all weighs against the scriptures. We know what the scripture says. James says when we don't do it, it's to us it is sin because there's times we're full of pride and we often think we know better. More than that, we, we lack in discipleship. Almost every place I go, I ask pastors, what's the thing you need to do better in your church? They say, every time, we don't disciple enough. We like to get them in. We like them to hear wonderful music, which, praise the Lord, we do. We like them to hear a good sermon. But, boy, getting them into a small group where they're going to really investigate for their own, observe and interpret and apply the scriptures, boy, it's hard work. It's hard work. The church has to go against this, right? Because there's a lack of disciples, there's a lack of eagerness to do that. Time is so short. If Vicki Means was standing here, or Kathy, they would tell you, get in the word. <laughs> be discipled. It'll be all worth it as they stand in the glory of Christ. There's compromising that goes on. And then we justify our worldly behaviors. 
All of that says the scripture's not enough in a way. We wouldn't say that from our mouth, but our behavior shows that. We blur parenting roles. Men fail to lead, women fail to submit, all for the glory of God. And now our children have no idea what's going on, so they just take the front. And pretty soon you have a child-centered home. These all things threaten our view of the sufficiency of scriptures. We don't manage our time well. We are very busy, aren't we? Extremely busy people. Some of us are too busy. And because our schedules are so tight, I don't have time to sit down, open the most precious thing ever given to us, because it's connected to Jesus Christ, and spend a half an hour with Jesus. With something that's so pure and so perfect. Our schedules are so tight. Can you sleep a less... Can you read before you go to bed? Can you read at noon? Can you read in the morning? Can you spend time in the word of God? See, all of this says in an outward form, maybe not through our voice, Lord, it's not enough. I need more. Well, these are just a few things, and I, and I really want to hear from you. What are some things that, that make you, and, and be honest, where I don't trust the scriptures? What are some of those areas that are etching away on the minds of Christians? I want to hear those from you. Often it's unknowingly right? It's unknowingly. I just got so busy, pastor, and I have not read through the Bible ever or in years, or I have not read through the New Testament. I have not read through the harmony of the Gospels. I'm just too busy. Just be honest and think through this. Let me know what keeps you from being in the Scriptures. But again this morning, my goal is, I want you to understand this, to convince you to become students of the Scriptures, to love, love the sufficiency of God's Word. I promise you'll have joy like you've never had when you cling to God's word. It'll give you love and patience and kindness and all the things that the Spirit gives you come with the word of God. Now, we want all of us to grow in our confidence, all of us, myself included. Grow in our confidence, our reading, our studying, our hearing, our understanding, our applying of the word of God. This is the goal of the church. We want people to love the word of God. And so we're not here to tickle your ears. We're not here to make you feel good. The, the, what they're training pastors today, if you want to call them pastors, is do what it takes to keep them in the seats. That's what's being trained, brothers and sisters. You've been to those churches. You have family members that are in those. No, God teaches us to preach the word in season and out of season, to be passionate about it, to lay down our lives and follow him. I was thinking this week, you know, it's so nice when you know the Bible to say, thus says the Lord to someone. Thus says the Lord. Do you know your Bible and you're in a conversation at work or something like this? Here, let me give you an example. For years when we were planting churches, I cowboyed to supplement our income. And, and I was just with the pagan of pagans. You know, you think cowboys are all, you know, the John Waynes. Yeah, they're just a bunch of pagans. Um, they're out there pushing cows and doing all kinds of things. And so you're up with them. And, you, and you, know, you know, cowboys are pretty conservative most of the time. But pretty soon they're going to say, man, can you believe what's going on in the world? What are you going to do with that? It's teed up on there like a softball. Hey, you know the Bible says something about that? In fact, the Bible says that men are going to grow evil, worse and worse. In fact, the Bible says they're going to be haters of God, lovers of money. And do you know he has an answer for that? Boom, Bobby Caliendo, conversational evangelism, right? <laughs> Where are you, Bobby? See, but you've got to know the Bible, Right? Because pretty soon you're in the conversation, you go, yeah, it's really bad. And you know, all of a sudden you're caught up in whatever side of the aisle you're on, right? Oh, let me tell you what God's word has to say. 
Let me share that with you. And, and see, this only comes from people who are gripped with the power of God's word that it can change a life. It can, it, it can shine dark. It can shine light into the darkest places. We all have people that don't know Jesus. I love the, the testimony of J.C. Ryle. He was one of my heroes. I love reading. I cut my teeth on him at 19, 20 years old, reading his stuff. But his testimony, he says, in his own testimony, he was raised in a nominal Christian home. It was basically a home that believed in baptismal regeneration, do this, do that, get that. One time he said in his autobiography, he said, he once believed that Christianity must be, the, must be one of the most disagreeable occupations on earth and, on, and in heaven. One day, it says he happened into a church in the early 1800s. Hearing the word of God, hearing the scriptures read out loud, he was transformed. As they were reading, one verse stood out to him with emphasis that slowed down every phrase that gripped him like never before. The verse was this. For by grace are ye saved. It was in the King James. And he said it was like all time stopped. For by grace, I'm saved. I've been trained to think I got to do this, look like this, dress like that, do this, have this whole list. And it was overwhelming to him as that just life just stopped in that moment as he heard that passage. This is the power of God's word to change somebody's life. He thought it was him. Of course, the verse goes on, doesn't it? Through faith. And he started to wrestle with that. Well, I thought I believed, but now I'm not so sure. And then he began to realize that's a faith that's not from me. That's a faith from God. God will grant me this kind of faith that will help me understand his saving grace. And then he, then he heard the next phrase, and that not of yourself. Oh, he finally felt free. All the steps he'd been taking, all the things he'd been doing, it just it wore him out. He was done with Christianity, or at least his view of it. And then the last phrase came that slew him, he said. It is a gift of God. He knew what a gift is. You can't buy a gift. It ceases to be a gift. It's given to you freely. Somebody read the scriptures and J.C. Ryle got saved. He went on all the way to the 1900s to be a pillar for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because someone read the scriptures. He said in that moment, he reflected on it often, that nothing to this day appeared to be so clear, so distinct as my own sinfulness, the preciousness of Christ, the value of the Bible, the absolute necessity of coming out of the world, the need of being born again in the erroneous folly of a whole doctrine of baptismal regeneration and all other man-centered theologies. Because somebody shared God's word with him. What a powerful statement. See, this is why we preach and teach and memorize and share God's word with people. Oh, grandparents, don't be afraid to write a verse on a card. Sit your grandchildren on your lap. Moms and dads, where's the word? Is, it, is that center of your home or is that just an addendum somewhere? These are the things that transform life. This is why we believe that the sufficiency of scriptures, they take people from darkness and bring them into the beloved, into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Let me show you just a couple of verses. I'm probably only getting my introduction here, so don't get too wound up, okay? I'm already wound up. You don't need to be wound up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at that. Because this, chap- this passage and a couple others I want to get you in, in, the, in today and this next coming week, um, I think is going to light a fire under us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. The context is really Paul's testimony. You remember, we just got done with 1 Corinthians. What a battle he had with that church. Such a rebellious church. But so much like American church today, we learned as we went through that. But look what he writes in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. He's already said, I, my confidence is Christ. And then he says this. And I, just look at this passage with me. Not that we are adequate, or your Bible, ESV, which I think is, it might be a better translation of the word, the Greek word. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. Now, now look how deep he goes. To consider anything as coming from ourselves. What an amazing confession. There is nothing sufficient about me. Nothing that comes from me will save you. (laughs) I, on my own, have nothing for you. That's what he's saying. He is giving all glory to God because nothing's coming from him. Look what he says in the rest of the verse. It's astounding. But our adequacy, our sufficiency is from God. On my own, I cannot preach anything to you that will change your life, help you, do anything for you. I could probably maybe motivate you for an hour or two on my own, but that's it. Then you'll forget what I said. But not God. He's sufficient. He's sufficient for everything. That's That's what Paul's trying to get this church to. That's what many pastors, I hope, in America are trying to get churches to. The sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of his word. He has what we need. Life is hard. It's difficult. You live a life and you die if he doesn't return. It's difficult. It's hard. Do you want to do it on your own? Do you want to have a joyless Christianity? I don't know those things should go together. Or do we believe in the sufficiency of Christ? Turn over to chapter 9 real quick. Man, these are some powerful passages. God is sufficient. Here the context is giving. It's about the Macedonian gift. Remember, he's been trying to get the very wealthy Corinthian church to get involved with this. The poor churches, the, the, the less fortunate churches are doing all the giving, but the, the wealthy are not. Probably still true today. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that's the context of giving. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you now listen to this so that always having all sufficiency in everything now you can't divorce God from this so if God has all sufficiency does his word have what all sufficiency you can't separate it. you can't divorce him from his word that's why we don't have to add to this. This is why I'm not getting messages from God. I don't have to add this because this is God's word. He's all sufficient, so his word's all sufficient, so I can trust it. I can build my life on it. I can build my marriage on it. I can build my parenting on it. I can build my business practices on it. I can build everything on it because it's sufficient. See what he's doing? He's trying to help a church put their confidence in the word of God, not in themselves. You want to lose your joy? Put your confidence in yourself. What are you going to do when your health goes? What are you going to do when your relationships go? 
Is your confidence in an all-sufficient God? Notice he'll give you what you need for these good deeds he's asked you to do. Another verse along this line, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 13, the context is the work of the Spirit. He says, now we have received not the Spirit of the world. Thank God we have not received that. That's actually not part of us anymore. The Spirit of the world. We d- he said, look, we haven't received the Spirit of the world. What's the Spirit of the world? Get what you can get. Get on top. Somehow. Live life and then you die. Right? Love is love. All that stuff, right? God has not given Christians the spirit of the world. Uh, we've got to nail that down, right? We are not like them. We are not. And I don't say that braggadocio. I say that with the most humble heart because I deserve to be like them. Amen? But we are not like them. Notice the verse. We have not received, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So now the spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who's God, who has to be all sufficient because God's all sufficient. So the word's all sufficient, the spirit's all sufficient, Christ is all sufficient. We've received him so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We can understand those things. He gives them to them without charge. Verse 13, now look at this. Which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom. Oh, that's such an important thing. We do not believe in words of human wisdom. The world mocks this. I don't know if you've heard some of the things that are going on. Immediately, as soon as Mike Johnson comes out, they go right to Leviticus. And they start to bring out all kinds of things about unclean and women's cycles. And they go, all that, oh, is that all? You know? They have no idea of who the God of the Bible is. And they just run along and, oh, is this what you believe, Mike? Is this what you Christians believe? Oh, hey, the fire's coming if you're going to hold to the scriptures. I promise you, friends, it's coming. Because they're not going to put up with this. Because we say these are words not of human wisdom. But look at this. But in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, and when you look at this, you go, man, God's talking to me through the word. You want to hear from God? Right here, baby. He will talk to you loud and clear if you'll submit to his sufficiency. You'll hear him. You'll follow him. Verse 16 says, we have the mind of God. There's an amazing passage in Mark chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus is being attacked by the Pharisees, the most, the most religious people on the planet at the time. They're trying to attack him over marriage and the resurrection. You remember this passage, you know, this one husband, this one husband dies and now the brother has to marry and so forth. It goes all down. Who's going to be the wife of the resurrection? He just takes them on. Here's what he says, Mark chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are mistaken? That you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. That's his response. He puts in equality the scriptures and the power of God. That's what he does. He puts together that you're mistaken because you're looking for all kinds of things. He told the Pharisees in John chapter 5, they're mistaken because they search the scriptures in order to gain eternal life. And Jesus says, they're about me. And I am the wisdom and power of God, 1 Corinthians 1.24. So you want power? (laughs) Oh, it's right here. Power like you can't believe. It takes dead people and makes them alive. It takes blind and helps them see clearly. It takes people in darkness, utter darkness, and puts them into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. That's power. 
It transforms your heart and mind, changes the way you think, changes the way you live your life, your marriage, your parenting, your job. It changes you. That's what Jesus is telling. So you're looking at it all the wrong reasons. People do this, and we have to be careful of this. We'll go, oh, God, give me a verse today. Well, he just gave you 66 bucks. Right? And if you're willing to sit down and say, God, I'm going to read the scriptures, and I'm going to observe what you're saying. Just start there. Just read them and observe them. Observe what they say. Wow, in the beginning, God, first five words of the Bible, out of grip us. He's eternal. He's always been there. John 1.1 1, 1 says he's, Christ was with them and equal with them, and he was God. So there they are in the beginning with nothing, and they need nothing. Oh, just observe that. And think about the God who loves you, knows you, sent a son for you. And then just work your way down there. Day one, day two, there was night and there was day. He spoke, he spoke, he spoke, he spoke. He loves you. <laughs> and he spoke. Oh, my goodness. See, just study the scripture, open your Bible, read, observe it, interpret it. Yeah, God's eternal. God has the power to speak things into existence. He doesn't need time and space. He was far above all that. He can speak into those things. That's interpretation of application. He loves me. The same God who did all that sent his son while yet I was a sinner. He sent him for me. Great application. Moved into chapter 2. The garden, the rehearsal of, of day 6. Speaks all of these things, brings them out of the ground, creates everything out of the ground, the Bible says. Forms Adam, who brings life into him. So it's not good for you to be alone. You need a woman. You're not like any of this stuff I created. You're in my image. See, so just read and observe and take it in and, and, and go, wow, God. You, you planned marriage. Oh, so much fun stuff. One more verse, just Hebrews chapter 4. Go to this one. Oh, man. I said, we're just doing introductions, man. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. We had a lot of wonderful things. Such a great time to honor Troy and Shelby, and uh, that's okay. We're, uh, you just got to come back, okay? You all going to be here next week? Okay. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. You there with me? Hebrews 4, 13. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper. I hope your mind's thinking. The word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Uh, this deserves a whole sermon, but let me just say this. Do you have deep problems? Do you have deep problems? This says the word of God pierces as far as the division of the soul and spirit to the joint and the marrow. See, people say, well, pastor, you just don't understand. I, I, got, I got problems. Yeah, well, so did the demonic man in the tombs. And he's sitting in his right mind, wanting to go with Jesus, and then Jesus makes him a missionary. So, yeah, I, that's what Scripture does. 
he, he, it can heal. It, do, it does great work. And I think we just don't believe that sometimes. It pierces deeply. you got wrestlings deep in your mind and heart. This word, the Bible, God's word, it's two-edged. It'll get you coming and going. It'll pierce deep, and it'll go after even the intentions of your heart. <laughs> well, I wasn't intending to do that. It went after that. David says, oh, God, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way within me. He knew the power of the word of God. And he put his faith in it. And he trusted it. Well, next week, I want to look at this passage in 2 Peter 1 that Jason read for us. And I don't want to leave out experience. And I'm going to handle that. Because the experience of Christ is beautiful. I never forget the day I came to know Jesus as my Savior. Never. It's beautiful. And it's powerful. And it's an amazing experience when you think about Jesus and who he is. But there's something even more powerful than your experience. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can just even an introduction just be in awe of who you are. There's so many things, Lord, that are attacking the church, attacking the sufficiency of scriptures. Satan just doesn't sleep. He doesn't give up. He, he, he's just constantly devising evil tales and lies. Uh, man throws in his fallenness, and pretty soon we hear so much falsehood. And, Lord, as humans, we are susceptible to that. Some of us, Lord, struggle with all kinds of things that are deep in our minds and our hearts, Lord. And we fail to believe, fail to remind ourselves that you are sufficient. You are enough. You're what we need. You have everything in your son. Your word is your adequacy. It, it is who you are. It's, it's not missing anything, Lord. And yet often our Bibles sit where we left them from last Sunday. Oh, Lord. Cause us to be men, women, boys and girls, young people, young adults, young married, retired. Let us, Lord, let us be people of the word. Give us excitement for it, Lord. There's a lot of good things out there, a lot of great sermons online, a lot of great books, Lord, to read. But, Father, may we read your word and believe it with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul. And we'll love your son when we do that. Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for their patience with me. But I do pray that we would be a church that would be unashamed of the preaching of God's word. In Jesus' name.